Do you know that 49% of students in a given month were bullied at school? Uh, 160,000 kids skip school each day to avoid a bully. Every seven seconds on the playground, someone is bullied. 19% of American workers experience bullying in the workplace. Bullying is a big problem. It's always been a big problem. Uh, I remember when my dad asked me to face a bully. Uh, I grew up in Philadelphia, as I've mentioned, uh, which is uh, the home of Rocky Balboa, uh, excellent cheesesteaks, exquisite soft pretzels, the best pizza anywhere in the world, and unfortunately, more bullies per capita than any place else in the world. I can't prove it, I just know it's true. And when I was 10 years old, our neighborhood bully was a guy named Michael Powell's. Uh, Mike was big and strong and a lot tougher than me, maybe a year older. Well, Mike had spent the day terrorizing my older sister, Tammy, which was fine with me, but not with my dad. And so my dad got home from work, and uh, during dinner, my sister Tammy told my dad all the names that Mike had called her, names I can't repeat or the Lakeview ushers will escort me out the building. Uh, After dinner, my dad called me over to the plastic covered sofa and uh, said, son, and I should add, I wasn't raised in the Christian home, which will become apparent because there's better ways to deal with bullies than my dad advised. But he said, son, uh, go get on your shoes, go knock on Mike's door and tell him to meet you on the corner of Kamak Street for a fight. I had a choice to make. It was either, it was either face the bully or disappoint my dad. And when you're 10, you want to you please your father. And so I threw on my sneakers and started to make my way to Michael's house. Uh, it was only 30 yards from my house, but it felt like 200 yards. And I remember as I was walking to Mike's house, uh, my heart was beating out of my chest. I actually wished I would pass out so I didn't have to face Mike. That didn't happen. I get to Mike's door and uh, knock, and he answers. Uh, He's in the middle of dinner. He's got grease, probably from a cheesesteak, dripping from his rock-like chin. I said, Mike, how's it going? He just kind of grunts. I said, listen, Mike, um, my dad wants you to meet me on the corner of Kamak Street for a fight. And his eyes lit up, and he said, I'll be right there. And I was hoping he'd decline. He did not. And I made the trek back past my house toward the corner of Kamak Street. All I wanted to do after dinner was play my Atari video game system. I wanted to play Frogger, you know, and now I'm the frog that's going to be crushed. My dad's probably in the house reading the paper, and I'm going to get killed by this bully. But again, it was either preserve my life or please my father. I didn't want to disappoint my dad. Jesus was given the same choice, preserve his life or please his father by facing bullies. Jesus is in the shire of safe predictability for you Lord of the Rings fans. It's, think of Frodo in the safe, predictable shire. It's peaceful. There's no bullies. That's where Jesus is. He's in Capernaum, which is a small rural fishing village. It's where his ministry was headquartered. Uh, he is well-known in Capernaum and, for the most part, well-liked. 
In fact, they want to take him and make him king in Capernaum. Jesus could have it all. I mean, he could have, he could have the ancient Near Eastern dream if he just stays in Capernaum. Popularity, power, prestige, white picket fence, 2.2 camels. He could have it all. But he makes what looks like a bad political move. He leaves the Shire, Capernaum, and goes to Jerusalem to face some bullies because that's what his dad asked him to do, and he didn't want to disappoint his dad. The text is Mark chapter 10. If you have your Bibles, turn there. And then leave your Bible open in Mark chapter 10 or use your device, your app on your phone. Mark chapter 10. Verse 32. They were on their way, the disciples and Jesus, uh, up to Jerusalem with Jesus leading the way. And the disciples were astonished, while those who followed were afraid. Again, he took the twelve aside, and he told them what was going to happen to him. We're going up to Jerusalem, he said, and the Son of Man, talking about himself, will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles, who will mock him and spit on him, flog him and kill him. Three days later, he will rise. A couple observations I want to make in the text. Uh, notice two times it says they were going up to Jerusalem. Jerusalem was physically an uphill climb. It was a city on a hill. And it was quite rigorous to get up to Jerusalem. But for Jesus, it's more than just a physical uphill climb. It's a spiritual and emotional one because he knows why he's going there to face some bullies, because that's what his dad asked him to do. And you notice that the disciples, for some reason, are astonished and afraid. Why? Is it the 90-mile journey from Capernaum to Jerusalem? Maybe. Is it because they're, you know, country bumpkins uh, in Capernaum? It's rural, and they're going up to the big city of Jerusalem, which will be overcrowded because it's the Passover? Maybe that's it. Or maybe just following Jesus is downright astonishing. (laughs) Scary, even. I mean, maybe Jesus is more unpredictable than we might think. You know, before I was a Christian, I wasn't raised in a Christian home, as you've probably figured out. And I had this impression of the Christian life as boring, predictable, tame. But that's not what it's like at all. Following Jesus is unpredictable, and he is anything but tame. And I wonder if that's why they were astonished. Jesus is going up to Jerusalem, not to be crowned king, but to be mocked, spit upon, flogged, beaten, killed. And the disciples are wondering, why in the world would he do that? He could be the king of Capernaum, because that's what his father asked him to do to step in the space between the bully and the bullied. Jerusalem has always been a bully magnet. The the word Jerusalem literally translates into city of God or city of peace, Jerusalem. But Jerusalem has, in its history, been anything but a place of peace. It's been a city of bloodshed and bullying, actually. In the Old Testament, uh, 
one of the bullies that came against Jerusalem was the Babylonians, who in 586 B.C. Uh, came to fight the Jews, who, who gathered in their walled city, and the Babylonians just stayed outside the wall and just waited it out. And they wouldn't let any Jews out, or they would kill them, and they wouldn't let any food in. So eventually the Jews ran out of food and resorted to cannibalism. They had to eat each other. It was a Babylonian bully, an outsider bully in the Old Testament. But during the time of Jesus, the bully that was coming against Jerusalem was actually an insider bully. The chief priests, the Sadducees. Uh, What would happen typically, especially during a feast like the Passover, is uh, Jews would come from all over the ancient Near Eastern culture back to Jerusalem for the Passover... And they would have to make animal sacrifices. And here's the catch. They couldn't buy their animal sacrifices on the outskirts of Jerusalem, get a good deal at the Walmart, you know, $20 for a pigeon. They had to buy their animal sacrifices actually in the temple because those animals were pre-approved or priest-approved, and they were marked up substantially. So instead of a deal on pigeons for like 20 bucks in the temple, they were 40 But before they could actually buy a temple sacrifice that was priest-approved, they had to exchange their local currency for temple money. And they were charged exorbitant exchange rates. Basically, the religious leaders of the Jews were bullying their own people, making it hard for poor peasant Jews to worship. And that's why in chapter 11 of Mark, the next chapter, Jesus goes into the temple and goes ballistic. He starts overturning the tables of the money changers and driving out those who are buying and selling. And it's not because they were buying and selling on the Sabbath. It's because they were bullying and oppressing the poor. And Jesus puts himself in that tight, terrifying space between the bully and the bullied. And you know where that got him. Can I tell you another bully story? I have a lot of them. Uh, Again, there are more bullies per capita in Philly than any place else in the world. And my sister Tammy attracted every one of them. She was a bully magnet, kind of like Jerusalem. I was about 12 at the time, my sister 13, and uh, my friends and I were playing baseball in the schoolyard. Tammy was on the outskirts in the front of the schoolyard with her friends doing who knows what. And, and we heard a bunch of screaming. And my friends and I dropped the baseball bat and ran out to see what was going on. And I saw my sister Tammy being held by the hair over a car by a guy named John who was about 15 years old, three years older than me, who had a beer bottle in the other hand. And all of my friends and all of my sister's friends looked at me as if to say, do something, save your sister. I was scared out of my sneakers. I started to rationalize to myself. My sister can be a real pain. (laughs) She probably deserved this one. And then John, uh, the bully, threw my sister by the hair on the ground, you know, and started to walk toward her with the bottle. And then out of nowhere, a quiet, unassuming kid from the neighborhood named PJ put himself in that tight, terrifying space between the bully and the bullied. And he just looked John square in the eyes and said, why don't you try picking on me? And just kind of walk John down. 
And John wisely dropped the bottle and took off. PJ was my knight in shining armor. He saved my sister. On a much larger cosmic scale, that's exactly what Jesus Christ has done for us. He put himself in that tight, terrifying space between the bully and the bullied us. And with his arms wide open, shielding us from the bullies, he took him on a chin. He bit the bullet for us. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. But what the bullies could never have imagined is that by having their way with Jesus, he was actually having his way with them. Disarming the powers and principalities, the bullies, making a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. The what? The cross. There's a battle going on between Jesus the bully basher and some big bad bullies and the winner by a knockout and the undisputed, undefeated, heavyweight champion of the world is Jesus the Christ. Do you remember the bullies that were having their way with you before Jesus stepped in? I do. Bullies like addiction and regret and shame. Bullies like anxiety, fear, and worry. Bullies like insecurity, inadequacy, and inferiority. Bullies like loneliness, depression, and emptiness. You remember those bullies? And then Jesus stepped in the middle and took it on the chin for us. And now we are free from those bullies. And this is the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, the bully basher. But in the words of Porky Pig, that's not all, folks. What God has done for us, he wants us to do for others. It's all over scripture. Scripture says we are Christ's ambassadors as if God were making his appeal through the likes of us. First John, in this world, we are like him. Jesus said, as I have done for you, so you must do for others. We are called to partner with Christ in bashing bullies to set people free. That's the call. But the only way to do that is to somehow, some way, by his grace, break free from our Capernaums. Look at Mark chapter 10. A couple of different things going on. It's a kind of a humorous chapter if it wasn't so sad. But there's the rich young ruler who wants to follow Jesus on his terms. And Jesus says, go and sell all that you have, give it to the poor, then you can follow me. And the guy cannot break free from his Capernaum of possessions. He goes away sad. And then just after Jesus says that he will go on mission in Jerusalem and give his life, James and John, who should know better, come to Jesus with a request. Lord, we got something to ask. What is it? Grant that one of us sit on your right and one of us on your left when you come into your kingdom. 
they could not break free from their Capernaum of power and prestige and pomp. The only guy other than Jesus in Mark 10 who actually gets it and sees is a blind guy named Bartimaeus, (laughs) who at the end of chapter 10 has a request, like James and John. Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? And he says, I want to see. Gets his sight from Jesus. What does he do? He says he follows Jesus on the road Jesus is going on. He's the only one, a blind guy, who sees and goes on the path to Jerusalem where Jesus is going. I am so prone to self-deception. I can think I'm actually following Jesus into Jerusalem when in actuality I'm dragging him into my Capernaum to build my kingdom, to build my nest egg of power and prestige and possessions, my little cozy, convenient, comfortable Capernaum. And the older I get, the harder it is for me to break free from my Capernaums. I become a tree hugger. When I was in my 20s and 30s, I didn't care about going out on a limb. You know? On mission in Jerusalem to face bullies with Jesus. But then in my 40s, you got a mortgage, you got a family, you got responsibility, you got a resume, you got a reputation. And my tendency in midlife is to hug the trunk of the tree to stay in Capernaum. And here's what I've realized, and I've realized it the hard way. The place where we least want to go out on a limb is often the place where we experience the presence and the power of Christ in the most profound ways. Because he's not in Capernaum. He's in Jerusalem. If your Christian life and my Christian life feels like a flat, predictable Midwest cornfield, something is wrong. Look what Jesus does. He's like, he comes down from heaven, he goes up on the cross, goes down to the grave, rises again, ascends to heaven, he'll come back to take us to be with him in heaven. He's up and down, up and down. He's a roller coaster, he is. And if our Christian walk feels flat and predictable, like a cornfield, something is wrong. We're not following Jesus into Jerusalem. We're, we're trying to drag him into our Capernaum, is what's happening. And that makes the Christian life dull because it's not the Christian life. There's a big difference between American churchianity, in which I build religion around my kingdom, and biblical Christianity, where I revolve around his kingdom. So the question I want us to wrestle with today, all of us, is this. To what Jerusalem is God calling you to go? Those of you who teach, your Jerusalem starts tomorrow for some of you. You're on mission bashing bullies. Don't beat up a little kid who's a bully. You know what I mean. You face the bully of illiteracy and poverty and despair with your students. You've got a mission. To what Jerusalem is God calling us? And can we break free from our Capernaum to join him there? Who will step in the gap between the bully and the bullied? Between the single mom with three kids and the bills that will leave her homeless? 
between a village of people in Africa and a lack of clean water. Between an addicted friend and the alcohol that's killing her. Between a family member and his eternal separation from God. Between the youth and children's ministries of the church and a lack of volunteers to and disciple and teach them. Who will step in the gap between uh, ethnic minorities and racial stereotyping? Between women and chauvinistic suppression? (laughs) Between teenage girls and human trafficking? Who will step in the space between right and wrong, truth and lies? reconciliation and rejection. Jesus will. And if you want to experience and I want to experience sweet intimacy with Jesus Christ, the presence and power of Jesus, you'll find him and I'll find him in that tight, terrifying space between the bullied and the bully because that's where he hangs out. He's not in Capernaum. So um, uh, I'm heading to the corner of Kamak Street to face the bully. Mad as can be at my dad, who sent me to fight the bully when he's probably in the house with his feet up reading the paper. But to my surprise, I get to the corner of Kamak Street, and my dad's there. He's there the whole time. He didn't send me to a place he himself was not going to be present. And so I show up, and my dad's there, and Mike runs out of the house excited to beat me up. And we go at it. Then Mike gets me to the ground and starts pounding me. And my dad uh, serves as sort of the the referee and my corner guy. And he kind of comes in, he breaks us up, and he whispers in my ear, go get him, son. And we go back at it. Mike gets me back to the ground, starts pounding me. Happens two or three times, and my dad, every time, comes over, breaks us up, and says, go get him, son. And then Mike and I were exhausted. Mike from hitting me, me from getting hit. And then my dad says to Mike, come on over and play Atari and have some dessert. No lie. Look at that verse, Mark 10, 32. They were going up on their way to Jerusalem with, say it with me, Jesus leading the way. Jesus is already there. He's ahead of you. God's plan will only take you where his presence and power will sustain you. He will not ask you to go someplace he himself is not already present. That's the good news. Go into all the world, he says, and be bully bashers with me. That's the New Lenny translation. And lo, I am with you always, 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 even to the end of the age. Let's pray. I just want to spend some time, uh, if we could, thanking God for the bullies he's bashed on our behalf. Would you just thank God? You can do it out loud. You can do it in quiet. I don't care. But name the bullies that he bashed to set you free and just thank him for a bit.
Thank you, Lord, for bashing the bullies of depression and despair and addiction and regret and shame and fear and anxiety, emptiness and loneliness, lifelessness. Thank you. And what God does for us, he wants to do through us. So now I triple dog dare us to ask the question, God, to what Jerusalem are you calling me? With my time, my money, my gifts, my relationships, what space do you want me to engage between the bully and the bullied? Ask God. And he will show you. show us the Jerusalem. Lord, show us our mission. God, help us to break free from Capernaum. Cozy, convenient, comfortable Capernaum. Give us the compassion, the courage, the commitment we'll need to engage in mission in Jerusalem. Our ears, our hearts are wide open. Speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. Christ, that which you laid on our heart, we will do. God's people said, we'll try that again. God's people said, amen. The church is at her best when we're battling bullies with Jesus. Bullies of racism, slavery, chauvinism, poverty, illiteracy. Building hospitals, schools, and orphanages in places no one would dare to go where there's lots of bullies, that's the church of Jesus Christ. We don't play it safe. We don't build Capernaum. We go to Jerusalem. Addiction we've been reciting during this Holy Love series. Holy Love compels us to bash bullies with Jesus Christ. And so if you know the words of Paul to the Thessalonian church, uh, 1 Thessalonians 5, you can say it with me. And now may the God of peace, God himself, sanctify us through and through. May our whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who calls us is faithful, and he will do it. Amen. You're dismissed.